Today, we are revisiting something that we've taught before and talked about before because we're about to start um, a series. I don't know how long it's going to be, um, to be fair. Um, series on uh, how, how to read the Bible. Um, because if we're really honest with ourselves, we traditionally and currently don't do a really super good job at reading our Bibles. So I want to I wanna take some time because this, this, this Bible, this book is a, an incredibly complex, fascinating, ancient, living um, work of literary art um, beside the fact, the most important fact, that it is divinely inspired and authoritative for our lives. Um, I want to just begin this morning about talking a little bit about, uh, about expectation. It's a term I've used in the last several weeks um, because for me it's, it's kind of the foundation of everything. And when I say expectation, what I mean by that is when we read the Bible, we have a reality that we create in our minds, whether it's from the work that the Spirit is doing as we read interpretation or whether it is the teaching we've received from Protestant, you know, uh, from our background or from a, through a Hebrew roots or Torah pursuant um, avenue. The words we read off the page, we have to realize, and, and Kyla said this before, we've said this before, we have to realize that when you read your Bible, you are not just simply reading what it says. How, yeah. How, how many of you, I'm going to ask you to show your hands. How many of you have ever said, well, I just read what the Bible says. I just, I'm just reading it the way it says, right? Nobody does that. That is physically and psychologically impossible. Every time we open this book, every time we do, and you start to read, you are engaging in interpretation. Always, every time. Listen, you can go to Strong's, you can go to Vine's, you can go to every lexicon in, the, in creation and find the meaning of the word and, and read it as literally as you can, which reading the Bible literally is something we'll talk about in a little bit, and still be involved in interpretation. It's impossible to not interpret this word. Now, the question is, what factors into interpretation? What tells us and what motivates us to interpret a certain way? Why do I read a verse or a chapter or a book and get a message out of it, and Jay may read it and get message B out of it? Well, part of that is what God is doing real time as he illuminates his word, and that's a beautiful thing. But also part of that is because we are both engaging in the process of interpretation as we read. Now, what is informing that interpretation? What are some things that inform our interpretation? Talk to me. Background. Background. Other people's opinions. Right. Okay. Other people's opinions. Very good. Somebody else said something else. Yeah. How you were trained. What, Mark? Oh, that's great. What's currently going on around you? That's a huge influence in how we interpret Scripture. Um, what's that? 
Translations, very good. Um, crisis, personal crisis. Um, all, all these things are great answers. All these things influence how we read Scripture and the message that we take from Scripture. And I believe fully, I don't want to take God out of this equation, I believe fully that, that Hashem is involved in that process. He is inspiring every time we read. We have to realize that there is something else going on besides just the fact that God is speaking to me through His Word. There's a whole lot of psychology that's going on. And while I'm not a psychologist, and I don't pretend to be, I don't even play one on live stream, I don't want to get into that too, too deep, but the 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 damage and the danger is that when we have this idea that well when i read the word god is speaking to me therefore the way i interpret the word is god's interpretation that's that's pretty easy to weaponize right and i I think we've all or most of us a fair bit of us have been a part of a ministry uh been under leadership pastors teachers whatever that have had that exact attitude that my translation, because God is inspired, but what we don't realize, like I said, is that there's a lot of other stuff. Hey, listen, when, when a lot of us came into the Torah movement, um, Hanuk doesn't like this term. He has another term that I can't remember, but a lot of us were Torah terrorists, right? We read the Torah, and then we turned it and weaponized it on people that didn't see the Bible like us. Now, is that inspiration? No, what a lot of that was was hurt. And so trauma and hurt caused us to interpret the scriptures a certain way. So while this stuff about interpretation, well, it's important, but mainly because interpretation, how you interpret scripture, and and if you take the Bible seriously, then the way you interpret it becomes your reality. If you take this book seriously right so how we interpret it and what it means to us becomes the reality that now creates our life our worldview how we look at ourselves how we treat our spouse how we raise our children how we look at other people who don't believe like we do i have a a good friend that's um that's gone uh, some different routes in his in his spiritual walk and his walk with God but I had a conversation with him a couple of months ago and he said I can't believe you came and visited with me and I said well, what do you mean we're friends and he said well if you believe what's in that book you believe I don't have any chance of making it into the covenant or into heaven or whatever because there's certain passages that he reads that you know if you don't do it exactly like this then there's no hope for you See, that's an interpretation. And it's, um, it, it's expectation. And it's, and it's so, right. Um, if the Bible is um, a systematic, uniform book, that's what we expect out of each other, right? If the Bible is systematic and uniform, then I expect you to, to be like me. Because all of the books and all of the voices in this book, which, by the way, it's not a book. It's a collection of books that were spoiled rotten to have bound between two pieces of leather. But these used to be individual scrolls. You had to unroll and hear the individual voices of these authors. And the deal is, whenever you look at the Bible and expect it to be systematic and uniform, then I expect us all to be uniform. 
And then the problem is, I say, well, like, you're just not conforming to Scripture. <laughs> right. No, you might be. You're just not conforming to me. Right. And that's a hard thing for us to try to figure out. Right. It's that shift in expectation. Um, because a lot of what we think about the Bible not only affects how we think about God, but each other for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So this, this thing about interpretation um, breeds an expectation. That's just the logical direction of things. And so we create a reality. So, for example, I know some of you grew up in, in Pentecostal circles. Holiness circles, apostolic circles, right? You have a very different uh, outlook on life in general than someone who grew up in a maybe a charismatic prosperity gospel type of of ministries, right? It's very very different. Um, and that just when you read scripture, you read scripture differently, and it affects your view of yourself and of the world the world around you we've talked about this before and kind of laughed about it but those of us who already have some complexes and issues you know and insecurity and all that kind of stuff uh yeah there's more of us than than there are of you so um the the, those of us who grew up in that we we tended at, at times or maybe tended in our adult life to be attracted to ministries who reinforce that idea that you're not good enough that you you can never do anything that will please god i know we've talked about this ad nauseum but we, we tend to be attracted to those types of places which reinforces this idea that you're filthy rags, everything your hands touch is dirty, everything your mind thinks is dirty, you're, you are sin and that's who you are and you just hope God will find mercy and, and, and you know, call you home at some point and you'll be with him in his presence. And that's, for some people that's highly toxic, well, for everybody that should be highly toxic, but if that shapes how we see the world. Yeah, the whole, the whole Bible, and then, like Kyle said, how we see each other. So, um, so I want to do this, just to get, just as we kick off here. Um, I want you guys to tell me, um, describe, I'm sorry, I'm a lefty, so it's going to be hard for some of you to see. Oh, okay, cool. Um, oh, my seat's warm for you. Um, give me a word or a phrase Uh, on how you describe the Bible, what is what is it, or um, characteristics of it? What? Tell me how how when you think Bible, when somebody asks you about what the Bible is, what is your in in one word or a short phrase? What is your your way to describe it? Living, living okay, living word, teaching. I'll put slash instruction. Uh, well, no, let's actually put instruction separately. What else? Okay, good. History of God and his people. Comfort. What else? Oh, human. That's a good one. That's boring on heresy. What are you talking about? About perfect. Perfect. Good. What else? Layered, that's good. Love letters. That's right, that's right. That's right. Uh, 
they can't hear Kyle online. Oh, that's a problem. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll fix that in just a second. Um, here, will you write this? Let me go fix that. All right, y'all keep calling out stuff, and Kyle's going to do the, the hard work. Online, we got uh, wisdom. We got wisdom already. Do we have that already? Yeah. No? Okay. Um, history, literature, geography, poetry. You don't have to write all that down. I'm just. We have a bigger board. We just didn't have room for it. I think that's it. Pretty exhaustive. Say That's right. So, yeah, we'll see. They couldn't hear you online, so it was just like you were miming. So, isn't it great not to be in like high church where all this stuff is like, you know, we can just be ourselves and be comfortable. And when things don't work, we can just move on. Um, so, so, look at this. All, all of these things at some point or another affect how we read scripture now those of you that are kind of sort of new to to being Torah pursuant and I use that phrase very uh, on very purposefully because none of us are keeping Torah we've talked about this before but some of you haven't heard my rant on keeping Torah none of us are keeping Torah let's not fool ourselves we're we're pursuing the goal to be like Messiah 
and do things the way that he did it, right? We have no temple, we're not in the land, we're, most of us are not Jews anyway, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? But the Torah reflects the character of Hashem, so that's, we're pursuing that. But how many of you really never read Leviticus in your life, even though you spent your whole life in church, and then all of a sudden you become Torah pursuant, and you go like, okay, Genesis is awesome, Exodus is amazing, put the brakes on Leviticus because it's in your mind where's the one I saw it's confusing and that affects how you treat the book how you treat that section anything related to it right all of the authority so the authority of scripture well if I believe the, the Bible says not to eat pork and that's authoritative who is that authoritative to in whoever who gave this answer authority Okay, who is, who, is the, who is the Bible authoritative for? Those who agree to it, all right. That's one. Okay, yeah, we'll get it with that. But the way I grew up, the Bible is the authority for all mankind, whether you agree to it or not. And that's what creates the rub, right? So if I interpret it as saying you don't eat, you're not supposed to eat pork, and it's, that's the authority for all mankind, how does that shape my view and my expectation of people that don't agree with that? Right? So there's, see how complex just opening the Bible to read it is? Look, I mean, there's a lot of issues here to deal with, and we're not going to do that, so take a deep breath. But yeah, none of us are a blank slate, and none of us just read the Bible for what it says. And nobody in history has ever been able to do that. So this wild, wonderful Bible that we have is, is complex, and it's, it's beautiful. Um, Kyle should be coming through. I don't, if he's not, I'm sorry. I don't know why. Um, I want to read this. This is a book that I've been studying from that I'm going to be uh, teaching from when we do our uh, How to Read the Bible. Um, I don't imagine any of you would find it really interesting, but if you do, <laughs> um, it's a Bible that's taught, it's a book that's taught in uh, college curriculums, seminaries and stuff, uh, The Literary Guide to the Bible by Robert Atler and uh, Frank Kermode. Um, but it basically goes through each book of the Bible and... Um, explains the literary types in the Bible. And we've talked about this again before because you don't, we don't, modern day, we don't read a comic book and a, a, a lab report the same way, right? And if you did, you could get yourself in a lot of trouble. Look how high my triglycerides are. That's fantastic. You don't read those two things the same way. You get yourself in a lot of trouble. In the same way, the Bible is full of different types of literary modes and we have to be careful with how we read them. So this is an introduction. He says, to most educated modern readers, the Bible probably seems both familiar and strange. Like the features of an ancestor. They will know if only in a general way of its central importance in the history of the culture they have inherited, but they will also be aware that in its modern forms, that culture has denied the Bible the kinds of importance it had in the past. Isn't that an interesting statement? Don't you think like, well, we just got to get, what do we have? We got to get back to the Bible. What is that insinuating? That nobody's doing it right. right yeah, and, and maybe they used to, yep. like in the good old days, right? I just want, 
I, I love I love here especially people from spirit feel like Pentecostal type backgrounds people say that like man we just got to have church I just want to have church like we did when we were a kid like when I was a kid insinuating that in each generation progressively we're getting further away from the message of the Bible they will very likely see modern fundamentalism as generous yet argue against the Bible the biblical inheritance altogether and in some ways that strike them as barbarous. Um, he goes on to say that, um, talking about the King James James Version, he says the, the language as well as the messages that the Bible conveys symbolize for us a past, strange yet familiar, which we feel somehow we must understand if we are to understand ourselves. So he's saying that we, we don't understand this book and yet it's, it's the key for us to understanding ourselves, which creates a real big cognitive, cognitive dissonance. He goes on to say, it might of course be argued that the centrality of the Bible in the formation of our culture is the restore, a result of historical accident. This is a view which two centuries of modern biblical scholarship have willingly not given much support. The motives of scholars, Christians, Jews, and secularists were understandable. A small body of writings first in Greek, or in Hebrew, then in Greek, uh, produced in a narrow strip of Eastern Mediterranean liturgy during a period of roughly a dozen centuries and has continued to have the most far-reaching consequences because these writings were accepted as revealed truth. And in the interest of historical truth, it became a duty to try to understand the processes by which this literature emerged from its original historic situation. So this is a fascinating, fascinating book. Again, if you're a nerd or a geek, get it. You'll love it. If you're not, don't waste the money on it but this altar has some other smaller books too. that more digestible yeah the, the the bottom line is that i want us to understand this conversation is important because every single one of us in this room every single one and every single one listening online you are living your life a certain way today because of how you either today or how you were brought up reading this book the way you think about yourself is a result of how somebody told you or how whatever happened in the ways that you read verses in this book the way you see other people the way you handle issues in life victories and defeats are all products of the way you interpret and expect and the expectations you get from this book now, let me say that might sound really critical and I hope not. I hope we celebrate that fact. The fact that we all love this book enough and we trust it enough as God's divine word to us that we are willing to build a life around it is an amazing thing to be celebrated. But also, it should make us caution that we treat it appropriately and carefully, right? This book has been used to cause too much damage to humanity. It's been used to isolate and denigrate and take the lives of many of our Jewish brothers and sisters. It's been used to uphold slavery. It's been used to uphold uh, patriarchy and abuse. It's been used for a lot of things because we have an understanding that it's an authoritative book. So it should push us to, to be celebratory that we, that we love it so much, but also careful because of the power of it. So... This is important 
for those reasons. It's fundamental for those reasons. This, this teaching, this talk, this stuff may seem really intellectual and up there. That's not the purpose of it. It's also, I, I, never, I never learned this history of the Bible stuff when I was growing up. Did anybody, did anybody ever like, was, did you ever have like a Sunday school term where for like nine weeks they went, okay, you're in high school now. This is how we got the Bible. Any, anybody ever experienced any of that? Did, did you? What, what tradition is that? Okay, cool. I went to a Christian high school. Oh, okay, Christian high school. Okay. But in church, did it, was it touched in church much? Not much, right? A little bit? Okay. So, so think about that. Yeah, right. You're right. You're not right. Think about this. I was telling Jay and Paula, you know, we all know that this Deritter used to be in the Guinness Book of World Records for most churches per capita in the nation. And yet, all of us sitting here, not that all of you are from Deritter, but just as a, as a sample size, most of us grew up in church and nobody ever got educated on how we got the book that we build the rest of our lives around. Or why we don't go to the other churches that we don't go to. Right, right, exactly right. I mean, think about that. We know about the history of the U.S. Constitution because it has a major effect on how we live our lives. But we don't know the history of this book. We just, we just know that it fell from heaven perfectly completed as God's inspired, divine, inerrant word. Shut up and read it the way your pastor or your denomination says to read it. In King James English. In King James English. Yikes. Thank God we were delivered from that. Um, so think that, that's why this conversation is important and why I hope it's not too heady and like, uh, I hope it, you engage with it and think about it because it's important. It's fundamentally important. I believe even more so for where we're going because have you noticed the world is changing literally around us? It's, it used to be like every hundred years or so, then it's like every generation. Now it's like every week. The, the fundamental, our fundamental existence is changing around us. Can I just make a statement about that? Just go ahead and take off with it. You got it. chaos and everything into our boxes that we've had and our categories that we've had for the Bible and it's just not having it um, because it's trying to do its own thing and so I think that all of this crises is not for us to freak out or even to anchor down it's an invitation to ask again what the Bible is trying to tell us right to, to ask again, how, is the reason why the world is spinning out of control because we, we haven't heard the message? Is it because we, is it because the categories and the long, the things that we've held on to dearly aren't quite what the Bible wants us to hold on to? I'm just, a, you know, I'm just asking. Look, I'm a skinny, skinny jeans theologian, okay? This is, a, I don't do pleated pants theology. <laughs> okay, so just take this all with a grain of salt, okay, um, anyway, yeah, okay, so I don't know where we were planning to head next, um, okay, sweet, great, um, 
Just what I like to hear. All right. So, uh, well, let's talk for a second about um, inspiration. What does it mean that the Bible um, is inspired? It's the inspired word of God. Um, verses come to mind like Second Timothy 3.16. All scripture is inspired and is used for reproof and training in righteousness. Um, sometimes that, that is translated as God-breathed. All scripture is God-breathed. Uh, which, by the way, fun fact, the scripture referred to there is the Tanakh. Just anyway, not, I'm not saying that the New Testament isn't, but it's just a, a historical nugget. Um, so, what does it mean that the Bible? A, a weapon you can use against your New Testament <laughs> family and friends. No. Um, yeah, sorry. Maybe I shouldn't have uh, loaded that stone <laughs> for some people. Um, wow. Now I don't even know what I was saying. Inspiration. Inspiration. Sorry. That's right. So. Um, Inspiration for the Bible to be inspired, for it to be God's word, right? And I think, again, this all has to do with expectation. Whenever we hear that the Bible's inspired, that it's God's word, we get an expectation. We get, there's baggage and word pictures that come to us whenever we say that. And I think that we think of inspiration as like a mystical or paranormal event. Mm. I'm going to use that word, paranormal. What I mean is it's an event. Inspiration is an event that happened. So, Jeremiah sat down, got zapped by the Holy Spirit, and was like... Zoned out, yeah. And then woke up and was like, oh my, oh my God, look at this thing that I've written. How, how insane, right? We think of it as an, as an event. It's, a, it's an event, a thing that happens. And um, I just want to posit and argue that inspiration is a process that happens. Um, there's another verse in First Peter, I think it's chapter 1, I think it's verse 21, it might be Second Peter, that talks about how um, all words that come from God come through man and are carried on, as they are carried on by the Spirit. And so that's the, sort of the two ends to inspiration, right? Um, inspiration is God-breathed, but it also comes through humans as they're carried along by the Spirit. So I, I want to just zoom into that for a second. Hopefully I don't lose my train of thought. So hold I it. You. I, I got know. you. All right. Um, like, isn't it insane that I wish that we could just open and say, I just read the Bible for what it says. But here's the fact of the matter. That's not how God orchestrated this thing. The, the Bible was, God chose a medium, written word and language, which requires interpretation, right? Think, just think about that for a second. Okay, now I'm going to try to grab that and, and go. Um, so we have, the, we have sort of the two ends of inspiration, and so inspiration is a process. So if it's not an event that happens to a writer, it means that it's, it's a longer process, which means that God is using people like you and me to tell his story because the Bible is not just Israel recording its past. It's Israel interpreting their past. Mm. Okay, there's no stenographer reports in the Bible. All these texts are written sometimes centuries after the events happened. After the people have had time to sit and simmer and soak in what happened 
And then they think to themselves, what, is, what did that event have to do with our relationship with God? And that happens through a process. And I think what this allows us to do, whenever we understand that inspiration is a process and not an event, is our understanding of inspiration can become a little more elastic. And so inspiration isn't just the writing process. It's the editing process. It's the redacting process. It's the formatting process. What is redacting? Explain that. Uh, so if you're editing, it means that you're taking something that's already there and you're changing it and you're, you're getting it just right and ready to go for the final published product. To redact something means that something was there and then you take it out because it's not useful um, or profitable or productive okay. for the final product. Anybody have a problem with that? So, Thank you for being up front. Because <laughs> um, that's important. We'll get back. We'll, we'll and, talk and about most it. And most of the arguments for biblical redaction, to be honest, are arguments from silence. Because we don't have the redacted text. So, uh, you know, you can take some comfort in that. Because you can always just say that that's a bit of a straw man. Anyway, you're not learning so, how to debate here. We're let, but let, about let's talk about that for a little bit. Because that... Christina said yes. Anybody else have a problem with what Kyle just said? Yeah, why? Why do we have a problem with that? Okay. Okay, good. Why, why else? Right. Aren't there verses in the Bible that say, do not... Oh. So, that's a big... That can be a big problem, Right? So how is it that God can say in his word, don't add to or take away, but history, and listen, the things that we're talking about today are not our opinion in the sense of the Bible had editors. We, that's, that's historical. We know that. Um, people that have spent their entire lives studying just how the Bible came to be tell us that. This is not just something we made up. Well, and you can see it. Okay, and you, so yeah, I'll, give, I'll just give a quick example. Uh, we have Genesis 1, and then we have Genesis 2 and 3. And um, I think that whenever you read it with your ear really close to the ground, you can tell that they are two different and separate creation stories. Um, because there are some things in 2 and 3 that make you kind of go like this whenever you compare it to 1. And you go like, well, what day did all this happen? You know, it's just this real kind of, it, you can get confused. But what's fascinating is the, author, the, the authors, or really the editors of these texts, um, more important to them than cleaning up all the little spots where it didn't go together, more important to them was to put both of those creation traditions next to each other because they're both true. And they both reveal who God is and who we are in light of who God is. And not only did they, was that important to them, but they wove it together. Genesis 1 transitions to Genesis 2 and 3 seamlessly. But they're, like, I say obviously. To me, they are obviously two, they were meant like two separate traditions, two separate stories of creation. But they put them together side by side. And in our brains, we think, you know, again, it has to be uniform. We, we need this to, we need this to be something, right? We, we have this expectation of what the Bible is. 
I'm having trouble communicating it exactly. But we, we need it all to be just this clean, uniform thing, and it's not, it, it doesn't want to be that, right? That's why, that's why this is so difficult, because the expectations we built for the Bible, the Bible is misbehaving. Based it, on our expectations. It doesn't want to do what we want it to do. It just wants to do what it's doing, right? And uh, hopefully, as the weeks go on, we'll zoom in and zero in more about what exactly it is that it's doing. But um, that would just be an example. These two separate creation stories that the authors went, or the editors, I should say, were just like, nope, it's fine that there's a few little weird, you know, odds and ends. We want you to have them both. And not only do we want you to have them both, we'll put them together, like, in a way in which it transitions Mm -hmm. to be one story. Another good example that I love is uh, Jeremiah 36 tells us about Jeremiah, right, has his scribe Baruch write a scroll. It's the Jeremiah story, right? Jeremiah 36 tells us that the, the king had that scroll burned. So then where do we get Jeremiah that we have today? It's, it was rewritten. And it says Baruch. Bar- Baruch wrote, rewrote the scroll. So the question is, which one was the word of God? And were they both exactly the same? Yeah, and were they both exactly the same? How many times have you revised something and changed it because this sounds better, this reads better, maybe you want to use this word or that word. You see, we're starting to kind of, and I know this gets uncomfortable, we're starting to kind of pull away from that, the very, these black, the black and white ink on this page, the black ink on this white page is the word of God, period, full stop. And if I do anything to tinker with it, then I'm violating the command and I'm, I'm dirtying up a, a really clean thing. I, I want, while I don't want to create a disrespect or a disdain, I, what I want to do is, is help you wrestle with the fact that God gave human beings a message or allowed them to interpret their past. Now, let me just ask this, just full transparency. How many of you have ever had an occurrence of like word of knowledge if you know what if you know what that is or inspiration right where you feel like god has told you something for someone anybody ever had that you heard from god right okay did what you communicate to the person come out exactly like you heard it from god what do you have to do? You have to make it relatable and understandable to the person you're communicating it to. And it's also filtered through your own way of speaking, your yep. own way of communicating. What, what, what I want to argue, what we want to argue is that's a big part of what the Bible is as well. Why did, why did God allow Isaiah the privilege of prophesying? Because Isaiah had a way about him that God could use, could partner with to use, that even if God stepped away from Isaiah a little bit, Isaiah could still do what Isaiah was supposed to do without being connected, so to speak. That these, these things are, are, somebody said the book was human, the Bible was human. It, it is very much, very much more human. I'm going to get and, and how we, oh, just wait. And how we, but, but how we think about this is really, really important. And again, what the, as you if you desire to continue to to think about this topic and i hope you do just be forewarned that you're going to feel like a heretic for a little while 
you're going to feel like your, your trust in the scripture has been diminished. And you're going to feel like, well, if it doesn't mean this, then what does any of it mean? You're going to feel those things. What I want to encourage you to do is push through that. Push through that because what that is is a shedding of an old, outdated, kind of toxic way of thinking about scripture. That part is, die, that mindset is dying and it's going to feel like you're dying. It's going to feel like if, if God comes back today, you know, like some of us used to feel in church, if he comes back today and I didn't repent of all my sin, I'm not going to make it. It's going to feel like that. But you have to push through that uneasiness and continue to ask these questions and continue to meditate on this beautiful God and human project. And, you know, if you feel that way, and I mean this absolutely sincerely, um, come see me. I'll hug you. We'll grieve it together. <laughs> we'll hug it out. <laughs> I, this, I, I just told, I was on a long trip with my parents and got a lot of good, like, conversation time in with them. And I told them, I was like, well, you guys don't realize just because, like, you know, I'm the idiot who still doesn't take the trash out enough and, you know, <laughs> like, leaves his stuff around and whatever. I'm your, I'm your kid. <laughs> But, like, you know, I, I'm trying to figure – I'm in these formative years where I'm, I'm reading from respected theologians and scholars, and I'm, I'm reading the Bible, and I'm trying to put it all together. But what I'm realizing is – and this is why I love my friends like Christina – I'm going to live in tension for the rest of my life. I'm never not going to live in tension. God is always going to have me kind of kind of uneasy – and uh, while there are days where that's absolutely depressing and sad, I'm just going to be honest, um, it also doesn't let me get too lazy. I'm not really ever allowed to settle in and get too used to a frame of mind because it's not long before God flips the script on me and goes like, oh, you thought, but like, what if, what if this book is trying to do something else that you thought it wasn't trying to do and you're trying to make it do that thing and it desperately doesn't want to? You know, uh, because too, we can make an idol out of this. Yeah, yeah, we can. You know, this this can become our idol, and and replace a relationship. And we have to forget that, or we can't forget that. Ultimately, this book leads us toward God. Right. You know, um, right. but it's anyway, not God. Yeah. So we were talking about. Uh, I just the, want to say one more thing. Yeah. Sorry, before we get too far, just to ease some tensions. Um, I don't know how much we're going to get into some of the history and facts. I, we, we did that. Go back and look at that. I can nerd out with you on that anytime, even over FaceTime, Facebook message, whatever. I don't care. We can do that anytime. But uh, we talked about redaction, and I know I said that a lot of the texts we think are redacted or missing. That is only kind of true. We actually have too much Bible because we have the Masoretic tradition, which makes up our Old Testament as we know it today. Um, then we have the, the Septuagint, which is a Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, but the Hebrew underneath the Septuagint is a different tradition than the Masoretic tradition. Right? Okay, so let me re-say that. So you have the Masoretic tradition that makes up our, our, our this is where we get our English translations. We use the Masoretic text to translate into English to get our Old Testament, our Tanakh. Okay? Then we have the Septuagint, which any good English translation is going to compare them. And then is going to make a choice and probably give you a footnote to let you know what choice they made. Um, I can nerd out about translation some other time. Sorry, I almost, I almost did it right there. Um, anyway, we have too much Bible because the Septuagint was translated from a different set of Hebrew manuscripts than the Masoretic tradition 
okay? So whenever you have the Septuagint, you can see a different, a different tradition underneath it. So there are passages that are in the Septuagint that are not in the Masoretic text. The Septuagint is older than the Masoretic tradition, so we know that the Masoretes redacted some things. They went, nope, <laughs> we, n- not that. But it's not hidden from you. Go online. The Septuagint is for free in English. Okay? Then you have the Dead Sea Scrolls, which the interesting thing about the combination of these three is that where any two disagree, there's another one that disagrees with, that agrees with at least one. Mm. Right? Let me re-say that because I totally got tongue-tied, and this is really complex. I'm doing my best, I swear. <laughs> so Nobody's mad at you. It's okay. okay. All right, take, yeah. Take a See, breath. this is my baggage. This take is how I process the world <laughs> that has come from toxic theology for sure. <laughs> so I'm trying to help me, help you, help me. Um, okay, so if the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Masoretic tradition agree, or disagree, let's say. Let me try again. Let's say that the Masoretic tradition and the Dead Sea Scroll traditions disagree. They say different things then more than likely, the Septuagint is going to agree with one of the two. Okay, so we, ha- we literally have too much Bible. And the Dead Sea Scrolls, like to a large degree, like 80 to 90 something percent, agrees with the Masoretic tradition, but it also has its own Hebrew Bible tradition. So we literally have too much Bible. You can see where things were edited and redacted, how the Bible evolved over time and became what it is. Um, it's really not it's really not hidden. We just, uh, and this is one of my passions and something I got to do better about. I want to build a little library here, get some books here, get people the resources to figure out how to see that and look for that. So yeah, things are redacted, things are edited, but um, by God's providence, we have too much Bible anyway. We've found pretty much all the evidence that we need. And um, I think that the people who edited the Bible and redacted it uh, were just as inspired by God. Yeah, that's the point I wanted to, to get to. That these these additions, editions, and and all these things, we have to understand that God is not just partnering with the person who who initially wrote or who initially spoke. It's not just God partnering with the author of the book of Job and inspiring that author. But before any book goes from someone's laptop to a finished product this one right here I just noticed it says I said this was by Adler and and Kermode no it's edited by them before any book goes to final presentation it is edited and thank God it's edited that's a good that's a good thing it's a good part of the process and the thing about editors if you know anything about publishing editors most of the time are way more skilled than authors <laughs> they're way more uh more skillful they're, it's more of a craft for the editor than the actual author because as an author i can just go mm-hmm. get and, out there. and just get out what's in my head get it out on on the screen get it out on paper and then i've sent it to an editor and i go okay make this readable Make this palatable, make it digestible, make it easy to read. This is the audience I want, form it for that. And then it's the editor's job, which is almost harder than the author's job in a lot of, in a lot of places. And so what, what, we, what I want you to see is that we tend to think of inspired authors in Scripture, whoever wrote the Torah, whoever wrote whatever, 
we tend to think of the authors as inspired but I want you to understand that this is a bigger project than just the authors and the people that were tasked and responsible for making just some words of God and some messages to a time and a place into a canon they were as, they had to be as inspired oh and I just want to say um, because again expectation and assumption whenever I say redaction some guy didn't sit down with a scroll and go nope not have any of that and just <laughs> rip it off and throw it away that's probably not what happened that's not how scribal traditions work what happened is one day a bunch of scribes are sitting around copying a scroll and they went, um, what do you think about this one? And they went, yep, I'm having some trouble with that too. And then they called in so-and-so and they're like, hey, man, what? And then collectively, right. communally, right. they decided it's best if we don't include this. So it's not like Joe Blow was just editing and redacting and copying and pasting and just like I'll have a little of this there and a little of that there. Right. You know, it wasn't like it wasn't like that at all. Um, these are people who treasured the Hebrew Bible and right. um, and wanted it wanted it to inspire the people who read it the same way God inspired the people who wrote it. And so they took their job seriously too. And we, and we, you know we can come off as the the thing like you know we're arrogant. That's who we are. Um, we're Americans, first of all, you know, but we're, we're arrogant. We tend to be, and we can say, well, how dare they? How dare these sages? Who are these scribes that redacted the word of God? I mean, some of these things I say because I've had these conversations over and over and over with people. Um, how, who, who do that? Do I? Yeah, my <laughs> who, who do these Jewish, these Jewish scribes? Oh, oh, wait, wait, we're peeling back the onion now. We, we got a little anti-Semitism going on. Like we got some other issues going on besides just inspiration and redaction. But we can have the attitude that who are they to decide what goes in and what goes out? Whose story is this? Whose? It's their story. And let me ask you. And, and it becomes our story by the grace and providence of Hashem. But this is their story, and when most of these things are written, they're not writing necessarily a canon until later. They're, they're preserving their history and their heritage so that it can be passed on to the next generation and inspire the next generation to be good Hebrews, to be good Jews, to be good Israelites, uh, fidelity to the, to the covenant. That's their focus, not on what some yokel in Rose Pine, Louisiana in 2022 is going to think about how it came to be. They, it's their story in which Kyle said they, they are super care. Study how the, the Essenes, their scribal tradition, it's like one guy writing, one guy standing over his shoulder, another guy reading, another guy standing over his shoulder. Like it's super complex. And that would be the Dead Sea Scroll tradition. Yeah, the Dead Sea Scroll tradition. So, so let us, if you're in that mindset of like, well, who gave them the authority to? Well, it's their story. And here's something most people don't know. And you can actually go online and you can look at uh, pictures of like the Leningrad Codex, mm -hmm. and um, which is one of the oldest of the Masoretic tradition. They like made copious footnotes right. and like sidebar notes. And there are like whole pages of doxologies where they just praise God for giving them the responsibility of copying and editing the scripture in front of them. Um, so there are times where like they're literally like, I don't know if it was this word or this word, so I just put this word because the ink smeared and I couldn't tell. They wrote that. 
So sometimes it's not even editing and redacting. Sometimes it's just a mistake. But the scribes were smart enough to know. Um, and uh, again, like a lot of times, you'll see a little footnote that happens all the time. This is the NRSV, my preferred translation. It says, the Hebrew here is uncertain. And if you go and you look, it's probably because like there's some manuscript discrepancy. Um, a word is not, they're not sure about a word. Like nobody's hiding anything from you. That's the thing that I hope you're getting from this mainly because here's the deal with redaction. Um, the text that we have that we don't know, we, we, they just don't exist anymore. They were just taken out. I haven't lost sleep over them until I found out they were redacted. I would encourage you to continue to not lose sleep over them because you just don't have them. And, and I know that's easy for me to sit up here and say, but like that's just the truth. I don't feel like my picture of God and me and the people around me is incomplete without those texts. I'm pretty satisfied with what I have. Um, yeah, we should work on getting a handle on this. Yeah. And not worrying about what we don't, yeah, right. what we don't have. Right, no doubt. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. So um, uh, just some other odds and ends about inspiration. So we say things like the Bible is inspired and it's God's word, right, which also brings baggage and expectation. I don't actually have a problem with that sort of language. Um, however, I find myself using it less and less for one reason, not because I don't think the Bible is God's word. I do. But what happens is, is that language breeds an expectation in which we completely dismiss the human transmission of the Bible. Mm -hmm. Because this is God's word, which makes us think of the event mindset where you're zapped and right, you know, um, in which like the human author was just not present, right? The human author just was not present. He was gone and it was God who dictated God dictated mm -hmm. the words that were, are on the page. So I want to, like, let's call something like ultimate inspiration, which is from God. But the immediate inspiration and the immediate authority, I'll say that again, the immediate inspiration and immediate authority of our scripture comes from the author. Okay? The author was completely present whenever he wrote the things that he needed to say. God, by inspiration, the Bible is not inspired if God dictated it. <laughs> then it's just dictated. Right. Okay? The, the, oh my God. <laughs> I love this book. I love this book, and I'll tell you why. Oh, I get emotional. I, this is something that happens to me every day, because I just love this book. <laughs> um, God took broken, messed up people living with their mess and their trauma and, uh, and and this is the human vocation the human vocation is to partner with God and the Bible is the foremost tangible expression of that vocation the image of God like this is the product of the image of God you know, um, all of the, the thing that I love about the Bible is not that it is dictated by God. In fact, I'm awful suspicious if that's what the Bible is, hmm. if I can be honest with you. As a cynical 25-year-old, if the Bible was dictated by God, I'm wondering who got on the phone with him. <laughs> because as Jeff Morton says, me and God don't have coffee, man. <laughs> so if you're talking to him, like, we need, you need to help me, you know? 
Um, what I think is wonderful, the thing that I love about the Bible is that people like me wrote it and put their hands on it. And so that means that the words on the page aren't ethereal and from out there. They came from people with a context and a brain mm -hmm. and who were looking at their life and their situation and asking, what, what, is, what is God up to? What, what should we be up to? Just like what we're doing. Just like what we do every day. Right. Um, I mean, just me and Michael were having, were having a conversation one time. And it's really hard for me. This is just like whenever I taught to code. It's really hard to convey this because this is just in my heart and in my bones. I might cry again. I don't know. Whatever. It's therapy for me, I guess. Um, but, like, this is what grips me and captivates me and gets in my bones whenever I read something. Like, the drama and the narrative and the imagery and the poetry and the metaphor and the absolute crippling defeat and and disappointment and lamentation and the imprecatory vengeful oh, anger and the you know but then like the never ending hope and the and the intrigue and the betrayal and you know like I live that. I live that. That's my life because I'm a human. Right. And um, that's what's in this book. So secretly, you know, we've been worried about the Bible being the word of God and, and, and we put it all up in heaven and have wanted it to fall leather bound. And secretly it was about us all along. <laughs> and, and people like us took part in it and it's about people like us trying to love God. And... Um, I just think that the Bible is the coolest, most relatable book whenever you stop trying to... This sounds so pretentious, and I'm really sorry. There's no other way for me to say it. Whenever you stop trying to make it something that it's not and just let it be what it is, which is a book with a divine message but human composition. Hmm. Um. Okay, I'll go down. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, that's... I, I think that's probably just about the conclusion. The the only thing, you know, that I would... Well, I really don't have anything to add to that. I mean, but the only thing I would say is that we talked about kind of that feeling of uneasiness as you kind of start to pull this stuff apart. What it blossoms into is a kind of like last week how we, we looked at the virgin birth in Isaiah and we kind of I kind of took it away from you and going like this is not about Yeshua and then whoops you did that oh yeah you weren't here <laughs> yeah um, and said like this is not about Yeshua Isaiah didn't know anything about Yeshua this is not predictory whatever I took that away from you and everybody got kind of really nervous going like well, what the heck but then when we read Matthew again you see how it just blossoms into some into so much more than just Oh, well, I would like to talk about that then. Okay, well, so much more than just, you know, God sending his son to save me so I can go to heaven. Like, that's, that's a beautiful thing, and that's the miraculous, you know, first miraculous step. But the, the, but the message of the gospel is so much bigger than that. And, and so hopefully by taking away the fact that, that the Bible is this leather-bound heavenly Amazon delivery, and hopefully by taking that away, that uneasy feeling that you feel, the more you press into this uneasiness, it'll blossom into 
Well, and, and it also it is something greater. And it also, I, what it's done for me is it's made me less militant. Yeah, more open-minded. Yeah, and I know that sounds like, a, like in, my, in my upbringing, um, to be open-minded, that was like new agey. You didn't do that. Like you had a simple, you know, super focused mind. That's what made sure you were holy and you were righteous, right? And you were, you were faithful. So, um, hey, buddy, how's it going? So, so to have this feeling of like, I think about myself as more open-minded, it still kind of is like, ugh, that, that's dirty feeling. But, you know, we, we talk about it because I think it's to be celebrated. There's a lot of diversity in this group, right? And this is... Sorry, this is like, it's the Bible, right? We've looked at it as uniform and systematic, and we've been trained to read it from Genesis to Revelation and expect it to behave the same way from beginning to end with no changes, real clean, no disagreements, no nothing. But in reality, the Bible is actually having a conversation with itself. Yeah. Right? It's, yeah. it's talking to itself. You get laws in Exodus that are already changed in Deuteronomy, you know, which I know you think like, well, duh, like, you know, they were journeying, but, like, I have a different view of that, and, like, it's, it's possible that, like, way later, they were like, um, that doesn't actually fit our context anymore, we need to update this a little bit. Yeah. They're settled in the land, they're not wandering, uh, you have things like the generational curses at Sinai, and then Ezekiel 18 and 20 goes like, um, nope, the one who sins will be responsible right. for their, their sin, right. and then you have things like, oh, if you sin and do wrong, um, you ha- you're cursed, and if you are righteous and do right, you are blessed. That's in Deuteronomy. And then you have Job, where he is absolutely righteous. That's the whole point of the introduction of the book. And then he is cursed. And all of his friends show up and basically quote Deuteronomy to him mm-hmm. ad infinitum. And um, the point of the book is that like that works sometimes, but sometimes it just doesn't. The Bible's <laughs> talking to itself, and it's trying to figure out what to do. So you know what to do, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I think that that's supposed to be a lesson to us because this is a united diversity of books. It's a bunch of diverse books from a bunch of diverse voices that are, have been put into one collection. And you're supposed to read it, understanding that there are a bunch of different voices and they're talking to each other, which should make us want to talk with each other. Yeah. That we're not uniform either. We're a diverse unity too. And, you know, back to what you're saying about the gospel and, and Matthew with the, you know, Thus was fulfilled what the prophet said. Um, the New Testament is teaching us how to interpret. We're scared of interpreting the Bible because we just have to read what it says. All the New Testament does is interpret the Bible. Yeah. You know, we, we again, I, I, I'm just going to spill my baggage. Uh, this may not be everybody's baggage. But most of my, whenever I got serious and decided that I was going to do this God thing, it was through the Torah movement after being with pj and miss heather and so i mostly use the new testament as like an apologetic for the torah let me go to the gospels and let me go to paul and show everybody how they're doing torah stuff but like you whenever you do that you miss matthew mark luke john and paul as jewish interpreters of their sacred scripture where they use their imagination and their creativity and their I'm not saying that nothing, I'm not saying that these are ahistorical. Let me finish my thought before you turn me off because I can just hear the clicks <laughs> as I'm talking. But they, they use their imagination because they, they have a sacred scripture and they've encountered 
a person who has changed their life mm-hmm. that they believe all of that story led up to. Mm-hmm. And so they're reinterpreting Israel's scriptures around this person and these events. So even the New Testament is inviting you to come and interpret and not to, and to use the Bible as the beginning of the conversation. Mm. A lot of times, and look, I, this was Yeshua's deal. This was his shtick. This was his jam. He loved to use the Bible as the place to start and then say, we'll go, we'll take it even further. You know, you have heard it said what I say. He's interpreting. That's all he's doing. He's interpreting. He's taking something that the Bible says in black and white ink. Mm -hmm. And then he's interpreting it and saying, that's the beginning of the conversation. What are we going to, how how does it actually apply? Because you're not all walking around murdering people. (laughs) Right? So that commandment means nothing to you mostly, most of the time. But I bet you get angry sometimes. I bet you hate your brother in your heart, don't you? Oh, now, now yeah. we're interpreting. Yeah. You know? So uh, that's just some more yeah. ramblings. The, I, I love that about it being the beginning. And we're all diverse. I mean, I know y'all love, we love Oneg. Like, it's my favorite part of Shabbat. It's, you know. But in the midst of your conversations... Just stop and listen to other conversations. Not in a creepy... Or be creepy, whatever. I mean, yeah, whatever. Not in a super creepy way, but just take note of the diversity of conversations happening. I mean, you think about... And and not just OAM, any church, any religious group, whatever. The miracle that has to happen for people that are so different to come together and love each other and walk together, that's a miracle, I mean, that is a miraculous thing. Some of you were Catholic. Good God Almighty. Some of us were Baptists. Holy smokes. You know, some of us, again, you know, we're Pentecostal or AOG. I mean, just some of us grew up really well with no issues and no trauma. Some of you were abused and mistreated. Some of you have been married for forever. Some of you have been divorced 17 times. Nobody in here. Um, but we all have this diversity. Some of us want to lean more towards the Jewish outlook on life. Some of us in here are still very, very, very much Christian. And all of that means you're still a Baptist. Sorry. You ain't keep Shabbat, but in your bones, you're a Baptist. And there's all, nothing wrong with that. No, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm, we should celebrate those things. But also understanding the Bible as Kyle and I are talking about and thinking about it this way it sure makes me, has made me a lot more gracious and not as Judgy McJudgerson where you have to see it my way because here's what I know about every one of you that are in this building. Some of you drove two hours this morning and I haven't said it in a while, but that's insane. Why would you do that? Obviously, you love God. Obviously, you're committed not to the ethic of this book and to God and his people. Now, who am I to say that what you read out of this book and interpret for your life and your moment and your background, your whatever, is not right? Who in the heck am I? My, Je- my Hebrew teacher says all the time. Sorry. Josh and Marva, have, they, you, don't, you don't hear two words out of them, except when Miss Marva gets an inspiration on Wednesday night. It comes with her notebook. I love it. She takes over the whiteboard and everything. It's great. <laughs> not takes over. You know what I mean. But... These people have a heritage of ministry. They don't, we, we disagree on a lot in the 
I would say maybe in the weeds. Maybe they don't feel like that. We disagree on, on a lot. But you know what? Somehow they found it in their heart to respect where I'm leading the group, and I respect their journey. You know, Brady and Sylvia, Jay and Paula, I, I, I could pick out person after person. You have a heritage, JB and Jennifer, a heritage of faithful service to God. Does that mean we're going to disagree or we're going to agree on everything? Absolutely not. But it better mean that we respect one another, that we honor one another, and the experience and the heritage and the legacy and the faithfulness that we've distributed. And maybe, maybe I can learn something from the way you read the Bible. Just maybe. I know, I know it all. But in the one or two places I don't know it all, maybe you could help teach me something and inspire me. And that's what understanding the things that Kyle has talked about, the Bible being, it's done for me. It's, op- it's, it's loosened my grip on having to be right and made me, given me a hunger for wisdom. So good. Yeah. My Hebrew teacher says all the time, I love it. And he just says it in passing and he's very educated and he knows, he knows his stuff and he knows what he's talking about. And he still asks me my opinion, which, you know, blows my mind sometimes. But he says, I don't own God. Like, that's what he says. Like, this is a Jewish guy talking to a non-Jew, and I'm trying to learn Hebrew, and occasionally we just have Bible talk. And we're, so we're just talking Bible, and we'll just be like, I don't own God. Like, what do you, you know, what do you think? <laughs> and, like, you know, like, you only get there whenever, whenever you can let go of being right. Right. So if this is overwhelming for some of you, for some of you this has been really freeing, I can tell by your expression. Um, but for some of you, I know it's a matter of a little bit of a rub, and now you're in the place of like, well, if, if I don't know what this book is, then where does that leave me? And you're overwhelmed. So I don't want you to be overwhelmed. So that's why this is kind of the jumping off place for the next several weeks where we're going to kind of be going through the, the literary styles of the Bible because I want you to not have a mastery. This is not a seminary level course. I'm not equipped to teach that. But Kyle and I will be doing some of it together because he's done a lot of work in this area. But to give you options and how to reread the scripture in a different way than you've read it before so that you can have ownership because you know I, I, if I don't say this all the time, you have to know this is my, one of my building blocks of, of ministry. Always has been, and from what I can tell, always will be. I refuse to be a leader that in order to be a leader has to have people that conform to my particular thing. Especially in a business, that's fine. If I was a CEO, it would be different. You better do things my way. But in a religious, we've taken that attitude into religious communities. And I refuse to be that. I've been under those leaders. And it's almost killed me. What my passion is and what my heart is for, for OAM, whether you're here and butts in seats or whether you're online. I knew I was going to get a reaction on my wife. Or whether you're online, whatever. My, my main passion and goal and drive is to equip you is to equip you to be able to stand not only in life's adversity, but it, with people, with, with issues, with everything, to go, you know what? I know who I am. I know who God is. And if I don't know, I know how to find out. Instead of just regurgitating something that the preacher said. Boy, he preached today. So did you learn anything? Did you grow any? Oh, I got excited. You were validated. Well, after lunch, that excitement will go away. Then what do you have to stand on? Nothing. 
You take a nap and then you're not, you're not anointed anymore. Man, the anointing this morning. Woo! And then you go and watch a football game, take a nap, and there's no anointing. The anointing's all gone. That's not the anointing. That was your emotions. Sorry, soapbox. But the, the, the point I want is I want you to be equipped. I want you to be equipped so that when you read the Bible and you go, okay, whew, Joe and Kyle said this and that. I want to kind of embrace this. I want you to have the tools to be able to do that. So the next few weeks, we're going to go through this stuff. So if you're feeling overwhelmed, take a deep breath. Everything's good. We're not heretics, and, and you're okay. We're okay. Everybody's good, okay? And we're going to open up this beautiful, complex, misbehaving book, and we're going to see how it, how it relates to us and challenges us and encourages us. So um, thank you guys for, for, for the grace with no worship today. I, my voice appreciates it. Um, thank those of you online for hanging out. I know the comments are full of stuff. I'll go back and read them um, later. Um, and uh, so I just appreciate you so much. Oh, the title of the book, one more time. Let me show you. And I have another one that's more, it's an easier read. Um, I just blanked. Robert Alter has The Art of Biblical Narrative, The Art of Biblical Poetry. No, it's a different uh, one. I'll bring it next week. How I'll to Read find. the Bible for All It's Worth. How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. That's uh, what. That's with, uh, can't think of it right Okay, now. so this is what I would do. If you're, if you're here or if you're watching. After Shabbat, go on Amazon. How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. Tomorrow. Yeah, that's just after, after I'll Shabbat. I'll leave my copy here. I'll bring it next How week. to read the Bible for all it's worth. It's a paperback. It's, you know, 100 and something pages. Very easy to read. How to read the Bible for all it's worth. It will start to help unravel some of this stuff and, and kind of set you in a context. If then you go like, oh, I love this. I, was, I want the smorgasbord. Then you get this. Don't buy this first because it's going to sit on your shelf. You're going to read the introduction. There's going to be some words you don't understand. And you're going to like, forget that. Buy this one second. How to read the Bible for all it's worth. And then this is the literary guide to the Bible. Okay? Usually you can buy these together on Amazon. Um, but great, uh, great things. Also, I would encourage you, um, if you want to do some prep work, uh, go to the Bible Project. I've mentioned them a bunch of times before. They have like 40-something videos on how to read the Bible. They just launched their app. They just launched a mobile app. Yeah. Um, uh, heads up, I'm going to be stealing a lot of their stuff. So if you want kind of an, an, an advanced copy, the Bible Project is wonderful. For those of you that are super adventurous, Pete Enns um, and some of his stuff on the Bible, it, if you're not interested, please don't because it'll mess you up. But if you feel like you're brave, Brady's laughing because he knows. If you feel like being brave, he's got some great stuff that'll just knock you around. The Bible tells me so. The sin of certainty. Yeah. What's the other one? I don't know. Oh, there's, there's a few. So um, that's it. Thank you guys again so much. Let me pray for our online family and bless them. Um, and uh, sorry we still don't have that thing where we can all eat together and smell each other's food. We're working on <laughs> that technology doesn't exist, but uh, even though it's been requested a lot. Um, but we're going to go have Oneg together, and uh, we just want to thank you guys for being faithful, and uh, we love you so very, very much. So Avinu Malkinu, our Father and our King. We bless you. We thank you for our online uh, Mishpika, our online family. And uh, just thank you for all over across the United States, overseas, uh, where everybody's watching from. Um, the proverb says, the lines have fallen to us in pleasant places. And certainly, Father, you have given us wonderful people to do life with. 
and um, we are so blessed and so fortunate uh, to have such a wonderful family. So um, while we together locally will go and eat and laugh and dine together uh, and rejoice and fellowship together, Father, we also recognize that there may be even folks that are watching um, that after the live stream shuts off, they will be sitting alone in their home um, with, with, you know, with no one to, to fellowship with. And Father, I, I just pray that your presence is with them, that, uh, that you surround them and wrap them in comfort and, and love and the fellowship of your spirit. Um, and Father, that we don't take for granted the fact of, that what we have. And uh, we just bless them and we ask your, your provision and your guidance and your grace to be with them uh, this week as they do their best to bear your image um, in an ever-changing world. We love you, Father, and we bless you through Yeshua, our beloved Messiah. Amen and amen.